Amen. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, worship team. It's good to see you today in God's house. And uh, let me say quickly, I certainly appreciate uh, what Pastor Chad made mention of, uh, this endowed chair at uh, Midwestern Seminary for pastoral ministry in Mary and I's name. And we're truly honored, surprised by it, uh, but uh, honored and certainly uh, pray that that legacy will, uh, our legacy will continue there to raise up uh, men of God serving the Lord through the local church. It's been our passion, our heart, desire. And I will tell you, it feels pretty good being up here this morning, getting to preach to you guys, and I uh, pray that the Lord would speak to your heart. I know some of, us, some of you are watching online, and uh, we welcome you and pray that you'd stay with us today and open your Bible and stay with us in this text. And I would say the same to you. Find your Bible open to the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. Lamentations 3 is going to be our preaching text today. And uh, I want to preach on a message I've entitled, Hope for the Coming Year. Uh, as you know, we turned the calendar. It's 2002 and um, 2022. I'm 20 years in the rears here. 2022. And uh, with each year comes opportunities that uh, the Lord affords us. You know, the, the Bible says we're to redeem the time. The days are evil. And indeed, we pray that even today as we consider hope for the coming year that uh, that you're making some plans to be found faithful to the Lord. I, th I think we'd all agree that hope is one of the greatest needs, and not just in our life, but in the entire world. It's a critical need because really it becomes the antidote or the cure for anxiety and mental stress and even spiritual well-being. Uh, Hal, uh, Hal, Hal Lindsay was the author who wrote one time that um, man can live 40 days without food, he can live three days without water, he can live eight minutes without air, but he can't live a single moment without hope. And indeed, hope is the survival, the sustainer for us. Matter of fact, you will find the word hopeless in suicide notes when people are definitely at wit's end. And so as we begin this new year together, I pray that God would rightfully restore the hope that belongs to all of us who are men and women of faith in Jesus Christ. I, I like to say this way. Hope is the courage in the face of life's hardest trials. Jesus declared this. In the world, you're going to have trouble and tribulation, but you can take heart, for I have overcome the world. That word overcome there is, is the Greek word nikeo, the Jewish goddess of victory. In other words, you can have victory in your life. Even though you're walking through troubles, Jesus promises to us that we must not lose hope. It's been a couple of weeks ago now that uh, Mary and I weren't going to be able to, to be ready for the kickoff for the Chiefs game, so we were going to record the game and, um, of course, pick it up there and, and watch it when we got home. Well, what happened along the way happens sometimes to you as well if you record a game. I inadvertently found out the outcome of the game before I watched it. And so here, here's what I'm telling you. When Mahomes threw that interception and we didn't make that third and short, we turned the ball over a couple times, I didn't really care. <laughs> you know why? Because I knew the outcome of the game. I knew that we had gotten the victory. You know, as I thought about that, it really is true in the Word of God and with our lives. We know how... It ends. And so when we walk through trials and, and tribulations and disappointments and heartaches, 
we need not fret because we've got this thing, because we have victory through faith and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at this book of Lamentations, written by the prophet Jeremiah, responding to what he experienced as he looked around his country, and he did so with great grief and sorrow as he witnessed what had taken place in Jerusalem. The city and its inhabitants had been taken captive. The world leader, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, had destroyed the city. He had burned Solomon's temple. The nation had been taken to Babylon in shackles. And the prophet is lamenting all that he can see. The streets are empty. The businesses are abandoned. The people are in captivity. And he begins to mourn and to grieve over this calamity. In chapter 2, we read that God's temple and the walls of the city are destroyed that the feast of Israel has ceased. And if things couldn't get worse, they did because it said the famine was so bad that the mothers were eating their own children. Rightfully so, Jeremiah lamented this wholesale devastation of his beloved nation. But here's what he knew, that his God was a God of mercy, a God of compassion. And even when things were seeming desperate and discouraging, he recalled that, The God he knew, Jehovah God, was the God of hope. That he would walk through the heartaches and the struggles and the challenges if he would remain in faith, and we know that as well. So please stand in honor of reading God's Word. Just two verses today. We're going to unpack these truths, so keep your Bible open. We're going to alliterate this sermon for all of those who like a little alliteration. You stay with me today and see if we can't do that. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning, for great is his faithfulness. Father in heaven, we pray today that you would show yourself to be the God you are, the holy God, the loving God, the sustaining God. And Lord, as we come to this new year, we come to the God who makes all things new. And Lord, we know through the new year There will be opposition and there will be obstacles, but there will be blessings as well. There will be burdens that we must bear, but we must be a people of hope. And I pray that for everyone that's here today, that their heartaches and their discouragement would not and not in any way change the hope that we can have in Christ our Lord. So, Lord, as we look at this text, help us to say with Jeremiah, Your compassions, they are new every morning, for great is your faithfulness. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Three things we're going to see in this text today. First, the misery of God's prophet. As you read the book of Lamentations, the word Lamentations actually means loud cries. No other book in the Bible contains only laments. In this distressful dirge written by the prophet Jeremiah, who had plenty to lament over. Once the proud city of Jerusalem had fallen, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army had marched through the holy city, much like Sherman would march through Atlanta. Jeremiah's anguish was over the collective sins of God's people. And the judgment their iniquities had brought on the city he loved. As you know, the word Jerusalem is the city of peace. The word Jerusalem comes from the root word shalom, peace, God's peace. 
However, Jeremiah looked around and said, there's no peace here. What once was prominent and peaceful has been reduced to ruins. And in verse 1, he says, how deserted lies a city that was full of people. That was once great among the nation. Now it's become a vassal of Babylon. So we see his distress in chapter 1. He wrote, this is why I weep. My eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me, to restore my spirit. My children are destitute. The enemies have prevailed. I called upon my allies. They betrayed me. My priests and my elders have perished in the city. They search for food to keep themselves alive. He was in distress. But you know, the nature of this prophetic book is masterfully written, crafted beautifully by God's prophet. In these five chapters in Lamentations, you will find the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet as the framework for each lament. So it's an alphabetical poem. So while there's great emotion in the pen of Jeremiah, believe me, it's a well-thought-through poetic flow to it. Yet he's laden with anguish and deep emotion. Now in chapter 3, our, where our text is today, He said, this burden I'm bearing can be felt in three dimensions. He says, it's physical, it's emotional, it's even spiritual. Look what he says in verse 4. First, it's physical. It's taken its toll. My flesh and my skin have aged. My bones have been broken. He says, emotionally, it's no different in verses 5 and 6. God has besieged me. He surrounded me with bitterness and hardships. He makes me dwell in darkness like those who are dead. But not only physically and emotionally, he says it's true spiritually in verse 8. Even when I call out and cry for help, it seems he shuts up my prayers. And his distress had led to his despondency in the following verses in 14 through 17. He begins to lament his own woeful existence and his personal plight. He said, I've become the laughing stock of the people. I'm being mocked. I'm being taunted all day long. He said, if things couldn't get worse, I got a dental problem as well. Verse 16, God's broken my teeth with gravel. He's covered me with ashes. I mean, what a snapshot of someone who is absolutely in misery. And this depression that Jeremiah's experienced is because he's been humiliated. That's left him distressed and despondent. Little doubt God's judgment was upon him and his people. They were in the throes of despair. He said, my soul is downcast. But Jeremiah knew very well the very verses that he has penned right here that we're looking at. He knew very well that God was doing something to bring about change. So we see his discipline in verses 28, 31, and 32. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord is laid on him. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, God's going to show compassion So great is his unfailing love. So here's what he's concluding. Since God is a God of unfailing love, of great mercy, and he's holy, then it's out of love that he's he's disciplining his people. When they choose to live in disobedience, the chastening and reproof is to accomplish something that God desires to do. And we know this. From Genesis to Revelation, we clearly see that God will not let sin go unpunished. What's it say in the book of Numbers? Be sure your sins will find you out. I like to say the first spiritual law is not that God loves you and has a plan for your life. The first spiritual law is this. God is angry at sin every day. And his gracious response is then to discipline those he loves. 
Hebrews chapter 12, who borrowed from the book of Proverbs, says, My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly. When you are reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines those he loves, punishes every, every son he receives. Oh, no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. However, it yields forth the fruit of righteousness and peace to those who have been trained up by it. So Jeremiah knows of this national calamity, the devastation that Jehovah God is reacting and responding to a nation who indeed has lost its way, and they were suffering the consequences of their own behavior. Sometimes we surely wonder in our day and time, why doesn't God help us with our national and political woes? Could it be we're experiencing the chastening hand of God in a wholesale way, disciplining a nation that's lost its moral compass? I think we'd all agree in the last decades, it's been an assault on God's morality. And we've seen as Isaiah prophesied in chapter 5, woe to those who call good evil and evil good and put darkness for light and light for darkness. And certainly we see with God's prophets there, were, prophets, there was agony as he looked around and he saw his city and how he'd crushed and been left shameful in ruins and his laments and his revealing his brokenness, a man that is brokenhearted by all that surrounded him. Maybe that's the question for you and me. Does anything eat at your heart anymore? Is there anything that, that you are moved by and bothered by? Is there a personal anguish in your soul when you look around and you see this free fall moral behavior of our nation and a wholesale acceptance of unspeakable behavior that's become so commonplace in this postmodern culture where we live? I, I'm telling you, in the 21st century, the traditional family is getting harder and harder to find. And I would tell you, it is a huge contribution to the woes of our nation. Do you realize half the babies born in America today are born to unwed mothers? 400,000 kids today are in the welfare, foster care system. And marriage is not only being ignored or considered optional, it's being redefined. And same-sex marriages are finding their place as normal in our culture. And we see in our courts and our lawmakers what once was this great nation. They seemingly all are joined in a chorus of disassembling what God has ordained, the sacredness of marriage and the gender confusion and dysphoria. Now gender determined by what, how do you feel today? Are you a, are you, are you a little boy or a little girl? Here's what I know. So goes the family, so goes the church. So goes the church, so goes the community. So goes the community, so goes the state. So goes the state, so goes the nation. Maybe the problem even in Christian, Christianity and church life today is the apathy that's made its way in the church. I mean, nothing bothers, bothers us anymore. We've come numb and we've become indifferent. It's like the frog in the kettle thing. And we've sat apathetic and silent, and we've watched this Judeo-Christian culture be hijacked by secularists, by pluralists, by humanists. And they're rewriting what we once treasured in this can cancel culture of the 21st century. Maybe we need to take a look at what Jeremiah has to say. Maybe we need to have a little remorse, a little brokenness to start compelling us. And indeed, that was true of this man. 
But he knew this, God is close to those who are brokenhearted. That's what the text says in, in the book of, uh, uh, of Psalms. And God will be close to us if we begin to be brokenhearted at the things that breaks his heart. Which may, brings me to the second thing. Not only the misery of God's prophet, but the mercy of God's proclamation in verse 21 through 23. Amidst this woeful judgment of God and devastating effects of his wrath, suddenly Jeremiah breaks forth in this re- refrain of hope. In verse 21, Yet this I call to mind, therefore I have hope, because it's of the Lord's mercy we're not consumed, because his compassions fail not. The Hebrew word for mercy is hesed, used over 250 times in the Old Testament. It root, root, root word means kindness, but it's a little more encompassing than that. It really is all expressions of love. It's translated in uh, the King James Bible, loving kindness. But it's a comprehensive term that speaks of God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, God's forgiveness. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for the mercy of God. Amen? We used to sing the, the old hymn, In loving kindness Jesus came, my soul in mercy to reclaim. And from the depth of sin and shame, through grace he lifted me. From sinking sin he lifted me. With tender hand he lifted me from shades of night to plains of light. All praise his name, he lifted me. Notice two things about the mercy of God Jeremiah mentions. First, he mentions the compassion of God. The tender compassion of God can be trusted. He used the Hebrew word raham, which actually meant the womb. In other words, he is saying this is the kind of compassion that God has. It's the same kind of compassion a mother would have for her child that she had given birth to. Man, is there any greater love than a mother has for her children? So the text declares God's mercy is demonstrated because God is a compassionate God. So as bleak and as hopeless as things appear, Jeremiah declares, we can take heart because God's compassion will not fail. Do you realize they were new this morning and they'll be new this evening? You can walk out tomorrow and you can say, God, thank you. Your mercy is new every day. It's new this morning. And then all day long you can declare it when you lay your head on your bed at night. Thank you for your mercy today, God. It's, it's new every day. You know, we're introduced to this compassion of God in the Old Testament, but we really see it personified when Jesus comes. Matthew's Gospel, four times we read about the compassion of Jesus Christ. In chapter 9, he's looking at a crowd of people who he declares are like sheep without a shepherd. They're in need. They're they're hungry. They're hurting. They're harassed. They're heavy-hearted. But... It says Jesus is full of mercy. He's full of compassion. And he demonstrates that by going and attending to those in need. Do you realize you and I are called to be compassionate people? Colossians chapter 3 says, And as God's chosen people, dearly beloved, put on the cloak of compassion of humility, of kindness, of gentleness. Bear one another's burdens, the Bible says. Then we fulfill the law of Christ. You know, I'm convinced one of the most endearing traits to any church is there a church that shows compassion, that they care. It's it's been 20 years ago now, and the church had begun to grow, and we just had 
me and a few staff members were doing all the care ministry. Pretty soon it became evident, man, it was, it was overwhelming. There's a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of need. There always is. So I said, let's, let's start a care ministry. We, if you're interested in, in a compassionate ministry, we've got a place for you. And so we asked for a meeting. We met upstairs in, in, uh, in, the, in the educational building. The first night, I, I swear the room was full. We had 25 or 30 people the first time I asked. I said, I, I'm interested. I, I, I'll, I'll do that. And we, we birthed that, what's going strongly today. It's been championed by Pastor Kelly over the years. Matt McCoy started when he was here. And then Pastor Kelly has really been the gatekeeper for this care ministry. This church cares. You want to join a church that will care for your soul? Join this church. You want, to, you want to be a part of a church that will love you in spite of yourself? You join this church. You want to be a, a one who walks with God? You'll know his compassion if you will walk with God. And God's people will care for you. Let me talk secondly about God's character because the text moves then, not only is God compassionate and merciful, he's immutable, he does not change He's faithful, he's trustworthy, he's long-suffering to usward. And you know, the touchstone of our faith is really that God keeps his promises. That's who he is. It's his character, his, his immutable nature. And while the faithfulness of God's character is unilateral, we also see it specifically when he makes covenant agreements. You go back to the Old Testament he made a covenant with Abraham of old. And that covenant was this, that God was going to bless him and going to make him a great nation. Then Moses came along, and he made a covenant with Moses. And he said uh, that Moses, as you take the law, then you will reveal to God's people this covenant agreement we have. It will show them their sin, that they've missed the mark. And he gave them the law. He also made a covenant as well with David, didn't he? The Davidic covenant that those on the throne of David would rule forever. And so God's making these covenant agreements all along. But we come to the New Testament in John 13. Jesus said, a new covenant I'm making to you. And he sp speaks of the fact that he's going to shed his lifeblood on the cross. That there's going to be a day when all these other covenants are passed, and the new covenant comes, and it's about faith in the risen Lord. He said, I'm going to walk down the Via Della Rosa, the road of suffering, and I'm going to spread out my arms, and I'm going to get to a gulf between heaven and earth. The only thing, the blood atonement, can be the salvation for your life. I'll pay your sin debt. I'll open the way for every race, tribe, and kindred to redeem mankind. You, you ever wonder, why did God come? Can I tell you, it was driven by his love, but God demonstrated his love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God in him. But I'm telling you today, the faithfulness of God in all the covenants that he made, and certainly even the one in Jesus Christ, becomes all for naught if you neglect so great a salvation. I wonder with you, has there been a point in time in your life when when you realize something was missing, that there's a hole in your heart that can't be filled by the world or by alcohol or by drugs or any other thing, that you just found yourself empty.
I will tell you the answer not found in anything other than Jesus Christ. He will fill your heart and soul. He will deliver you from your sins. He will set you on a new path. And here's what I like to say, and it's it's appropriate thing to say on the first Sunday of a new year. It's never too late for a new beginning with God. You see, with him, old things are passed away. All things now become new. And I'm telling you, go God's way. Things will indeed change in your life. He will set you free, and he will do something in your life that otherwise never can be done through faith in him. Let me move to the last thing. We'll quit. The misery of God's prophet, the mercy of God's proclamation. Now I'm going to talk about the moment of God's provision. Because verse 24 says, the Lord's my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. So Jeremiah, beset by agony and despondency, he recalls the faithfulness of God, his character and compassion. He promised, as he expresses his hope, this confidence, this faith in Jehovah. So the promises in verse 25 and 26, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to those who seek him. It is good that one would hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Jeremiah declares, if we wait on God, we'll discover something. He is a good God. He is a graceful God. Just as Isaiah said, therefore the Lord will wait that he might be gracious to you. And therefore he will be exalted and have mercy on you. For the Lord's a God of mercy. Blessed are those who wait on him. What's he talking about waiting on the Lord? I'll tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about those who believe in the Lord Jesus. And they are steadfast in that belief. Trusting in God, a steadfast confidence, not standing in who you are, but standing on his strength, his stamina, his, not your good works, but his good works. And he'll be your deliverer. I quit with this. Three helps, I hope, in this principle that you can identify with. Maybe you come today and your hope has diminished. Maybe you're not exactly sure where to go, what to do, where to start or how you're going to conquer this hopelessness in your life. Three specific things of application. The first is this. Perhaps you need to change your focus. Change your focus. Because much of your energy and attention have been continually spent focusing on all that's wrong, that's negative, or the things that might go wrong in your life, things that might happen to you next, and your life is assuming the worst, and you're kind of postured just waiting for the shoe to fall. And and, and as I like to say, you could have a habit of always telling God how big your problems are when you need to be telling your problems how big your God is. Change your focus. Begin to fix your eyes upon the Lord. He's the God of refuge and strength. He will be your ever-present help in time of need. And say with the psalmist, therefore, I will not fear. Change your focus. Secondly, strengthen your faith. Strengthen your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I will tell you, if your faith is anemic, if your faith is weak, there is a direct correlation in how much time you're spending in the word of God. It's that simple. Why not? As we enter into a new year, you determine in your own heart and spirit, you know, I'm going to rise up a little earlier. I'm going to to open the Bible. I'm going to read God's Word. I'm going to find a point of application. I'm going to flesh it out. I'm going to do it. And tomorrow I'm going to open God's Word again, and I'm going to drink it in again. And I will tell you the outcome will be your faith will be stronger. 
your focus will be clear that God indeed will change your heart and change your faith. Jeremiah would write this. Now, here's the weeping prophet of Anatoth that we saw how despondent and in this great despair he was. But he found the word of God. You know what he wrote? Thy word was found, and I did eat it. And it's become the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I'm called by thy name, O Lord God. See, he said, it's transformed me. It's brought joy to my life, and it'll bring joy to your life. i tell you what it'll bring, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, because that's the fruit of the Spirit. And when you're living your life for God, those will be fruit in your life. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for in the evidence of things not yet seen. In other words, our faith gives us the title deed to ownership of all that we've hoped for, yet we've not experienced. You want the peace of God? It's yours by faith. The joy of God comes through continually living your life for God. Life everlasting in all that comes through faith. And the just shall live by faith. Faith solely in Jesus Christ. Last thing is this. Not only change your focus, strengthen your faith, but eliminate your fears. Here's what I'm telling you. There is a close correlation between fear and losing hope. And some of you honestly are paralyzed by fear. You're afraid of everything. You're afraid of the dark. You're afraid of tomorrow. You're afraid of choices you might make or don't make. And you continually are haunted by fear. Zach Williams, a popular Christian artist, has written this. You may have heard it on the radio. It says, fear is a liar. It'll take your breath, stop you in your steps, for fear is a liar. He'll rob you of your rest, steal your happiness. So cast your fear in the fire. Because faith, fear is a liar. 2 Timothy 1 said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. There's a great promise that I leave, with it. I leave you with this. Jeremiah the prophet, this weeping prophet that we've seen who was in utter despair, would also write in chapter 29 of his prophetic book, For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans of peace, not of evil, but to give you a future and to give you a hope. You see, we can experience the hope if we'll do those things. It'll eliminate the fears. We'll move by faith, and we'll change our focus and put our energy and effort on the Lord God, and he'll help us. Would you bow your heads with me today? we always do, we give a public invitation and invite people to make decisions for God. I've given a thousand invitations, probably much more than that. And I have learned primarily that there is somebody that desperately needed to hear what I had to say because we preach God's word. And the promise is it doesn't return void. It'll accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. And maybe it's being sent to you this morning. Maybe you're 
issue is, is one I've touched on. Maybe hope's diminished. Maybe believe, unbelief has made its way into your heart. You don't know what to do about it exactly. You just, you just keep having this battle within. I'm telling you, there's a better way. There's a better day. The way is walking with God. It's going God's way. It's saying no to the world. It's shunning what is evil. Cling to that which is good. And God's love will take you where you want to go. It will take you to a place you've never been. Give your heart to Him. Go God's way. You may be here today and oh, you've known the Lord for some time and you keep trying to be faithful out of your own energy and effort and you're just, just defeated. Oh, I'm telling you, pray to the Lord, asking for a fresh wind of the Spirit in your life to blow across your life and give you the energy, effort, the stamina to endure. Listen, we're in a race. It's a long race. The victory is won to those who endure. Keep going. Keep giving. Keep loving. Keep doing. Keep being. Maybe you just need to be prayed for today. You're at wit's end on your own, and, and you'd like someone to pray for you, to pray with you. This would be our joy to get to pray for you today. You come in just a moment when we stand to our feet. If you're here and unsure of a relationship with Christ, come and give your heart to Christ. Go God's way. It starts with your own personal faith. Give your heart to Him. Give your life to Him. Father in heaven, we pray today in earnest that your will would be done in this sanctuary. Thank you for the privilege of preaching the word. Thank you for the hope that we have. God, renew our hope. Give us strength for the hour. Help us to be lights that shine brightly in a dark world. Help us to be the salt when the world has lost its taste for what's moral and right. Help us to be the kind of people that you expect of us. So, Lord, now as we extend our invitation, we pray, O Holy Spirit of God, that you would work among us, convicting men and women of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Thank you that you have a plan, purpose for our life. Thank you you that you will set us on a course that leads to joy unspeakable, that's full of glory. Thank you that you showed me the way. I pray that any here that know you're not in the free pardon of sin, this would be their day. Walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.